Power awaits us in this episode of the Hunts on Film podcast. I am Scott Morrison. I'm joined today by the highly czar jazz, Craig Eastman. Last time I swam this channel, I was your age. Swiftly on. So uh, we are talking today about 2080's favourite son, your Judge Dredd fella. Uh, I think it's probably fair to say that, well, none of us on the podcast are whatever big comic book fans. Hmm. Um, I, I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I, I would never purchase a Marvel or DC comic in my life. No, never. And I, I don't think anyone that we really knew at school did either. I can, I can never really remember comic books of being a thing when I was growing up. Once you grow out of the Beano and the Dandy. Yeah, this sort of really it, it, early kid stuff. Certainly, um, in our our corner of the world and whatnot, it wasn't a particularly prevalent pastime for um, teens or preteens or anything like that. I mean, I'm pretty sure most people would have had a passing knowledge of most of the major characters if you'd named them. Um, yeah. But yes, um, some of the B tier, some of the B tier ones, probably no one would ever have heard of, myself included. So I'm <laughs> I'm not the biggest of uh, comic book aficionados, but oddly enough, Scott, I had a cousin who was a subscriber, a slightly older cousin, who was a subscriber to 2000 AD. So I, mm. I had at least read one or two Dread. <laughs> it's uh, it's actually the only comic book I've ever purchased as well. Um, it's something I kind of flirted with for a few years at the tail end of school and were on and off at uni. And I've very much enjoyed it. If you're perhaps in America, you may not have heard of 2000 AD. It's a, a British anthology comic it generally skews uh, towards the science fiction but not exclusively um, and it features a fantastic selection of writers and artists and quite a lot of whom went on to uh, go off and conquer the marvel and dc worlds as well so uh, it acted as a kind of breeding ground for anyone with an interest in comic book talent in the uk and it produced a lot of really interesting strips and it's strange that many more of them have not wound up being adapted and tapped up in, in some form or another mm. uh, but uh, there's been two cracks at the lynchpin of 2008 the lawman of the, of the future judge red who patrols the congested megacity one on the eastern seaboard of the former united states uh, now largely in a radiated wasteland, with the exception of a few megacities that could somewhat protect themselves from the nuclear strikes. Uh, the judges are now the only authority figures, a council of senior judges running the city while on the streets. Judges act as police, jury, uh, judge, and in a great many cases, executioner. <laughs> a highly efficient example of uh, <laughs> cutting through the red tape. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a really extreme job here. Yes, exactly. Not, uh, no, not for the citizens of Mega City One bureaucracy. <laughs> uh, with their society seemingly continually on the verge of riot and revolt, it's thought that only a harsh rule of law will maintain order. Mm, I love the smell of fascism in the morning. Um, <laughs> So uh, Judge Dredd has the in-universe reputation of being the baddest, gruffest, least flexible member of an order that is generally renowned for being bad, gruff and inflexible, which makes him an interesting choice of protagonist and perhaps one to write for sympathetically. So I guess we'll see what Danny Cannon and Pete Travis made of the material. Um, the first one out of the box was 1995's effort with Judge Dredd. Uh, now... I suppose there might be some youngsters listening to this who may not remember a time when comic book adaptations did not rule the box office, uh, but us lot will know that it's not quite the first round of popularity. 
today is really a different scale, of course, but back in the day, <laughs> Superman and Batman were very much uh, uh, very much popular uh, between the 70s, uh, starting at the late 70s and probably peaking with Burton's Batman in 89. That's, things started to slide a little bit after that. Uh, 1992's Batman Returns has been a bit of a disappointment. And, well, by the time you get around to Schumacher's Batman Forever in 1985, the bloom is well and truly off the rose. Um, Marvel didn't seem to have their act together at all uh, so I think the the last kind of Hail Mary for this kind of thing for a reasonably big budget, big starring episode was 1985's Judge Dredd with Sylvester Stallone um, taking the lead role uh, directed by, at the time, I guess relative unknown Danny Cannon and he'd come off the back of Young Americans, hadn't he, which I think it didn't necessarily receive fantastic reviews, but I think it was kind of lauded. If I remember correctly, it was lauded more for his um, visual style and whatnot. Mm-hmm. His sort of um, directorial style landed him this gig, didn't it? I think that sounds about right. Um, Karen themselves went on to uh, largely produce more than direct, and he's partially responsible at least for the likes of CSI and Gotham, so he, he does have that kind of slick aesthetic down. Yeah, and um, I, of, of which production duties I had no idea really until I'd, I did at least sort of minimal research for this episode, so I'm quite interested to see because I knew that his career had, I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about the reasons why, but not necessarily entirely through his own fault one suspects his career. <laughs> his career took a bit of a nosedive after this, <laughs> but um, certainly in terms of directorial output, but uh, he seems to be doing all right for himself these days, old Danny. Yeah, I'm sure he's got a a little nest egg built up by this point on the back of CSI. Yes, yes he's, uh, he's not worried about his retirement home. <laughs> Z- 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 <laughs> <laughs> uh, so this film mines some of the quite early Dread storylines for content, pulling from a n- number of strips dealing with Dread's origins and backstory. Uh, we join Dread suppressing a block war riot where entire buildings go to war with their neighbours, largely out of sheer boredom caused by the near universal unemployment and cramped conditions of Mega City 1. As part of shutting this down, he sentences the only just-released hacker, Fergie, Rob Schneider, sadly, uh, to a <laughs> length stretch in prison for hacking into and hiding inside a robo-food dispenser during the chaos. Uh, this seems a bit harsh to fellow Judge Hershey, played by Diane Lane, but as far as Dredd's concerned, the law is the law. Now, at this point, I should... I'll break into this and say this is actually probably the high point of the film when that little robot dispenser is going around saying, eat recycled food, it's good for the environment, and okay for you. <laughs> yeah, which it's is certainly uh, the only comedic note that is, that is struck accordingly. Yeah, sadly the only high point. Um, it sets, anyway, it sets, it sets a, a, a middling bar, which the movie then <laughs> resolutely fails to achieve. For the rest of its duration, <laughs> uh, Dredd's inflexibility comes to back to bite him on the ass when he's accused of murdering an investigative journalist. Uh, the video evidence isn't conclusive, but there's this whole DNA tagging system on bullets fired by the lawgiver, uh, his sidearm, which seems to be incontrovertible. And Dredd is found guilty, and his life is only saved by Chief Judge. Fargo, played by Max von Sydow, stepping down and taking the long walk into the wasteland to bring the law to the lawless mutants who live out there. Conveniently, this makes way for Judge Griffin, Jürgen Prochnow, to seize power. Now, 
The explanation for this DNA confusion springs from the program that Fargo and Griffin had been concealing. Turns out that Dredd was cloned largely from Fargo's DNA with a little bit of tinkering, and uh, as part of a program to build a better judge, which seems to have worked in his case, but the rest of the results were not so positive. A particular disappointment was Rico, Armand Asante, sadly, who seemed to be <laughs> a great judge before going full-on psychopath and killing a bunch of civilians. He escaped prison thanks to Judge Griffin, who hopes to use him as some sort of uh, enforcer. And he was equipped to frame Dread, but now that he's out, Rico's keen to run his own game rather than be a prawn in Griffin's. Uh, while Dread and Fergie are being shipped off to prison, their transports attacked by the notorious Angel Gang, including the vicious cyborg Mean Machine. They're captured but saved by Judge Fargo, who fills in Dread on his background, and while he's upset, he resolves to return to Mega City 1 to bring Rico and Griffin to justice. Sadly, Fergie accompanies him. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, uh, back at the ranch, Rico and Griffin have started a campaign of assassinating street judges with the aim of creating enough of a panic to allow Griffin to restart a vastly accelerated cloning process, <laughs> providing him with an army of compliant underlings. Dread and Hershey, once he convinces her of his innocence, make haste to stop this. And now, I've even skipped over quite a number of details there, but you probably picked up there's actually quite a lot going on here. That's and, like too much, some would say. <laughs> yeah, it's very difficult not to feel they've bitten off much more than they can chew. There's <laughs> yeah. major elements from like five story arcs just smashed together. And I mean, if you're uninitiated to this kind of thing, I can only imagine how confusing it is. I mean, I'd, I'd kind of mm. got a reasonable knowledge of what they were trying to mesh together here, but it's just a lot of stuff and it, none of it's actually important to what's going no. on. The, the last time I saw this film was upon its cinema release in 1995 and <laughs> as much as I thought I'd remember the film, I'd completely forgotten the major plot point of this whole cloning thing. Yeah. Um, and that being the reason for Armand Asante's presence. You're being harsh on Armand Asante, Scott, I think, already. He's not terrible in this, is he? Come on. Well, uh, I He's not any worse than Stallone, so in that sense, well, they're pretty... <laughs> He's a pretty good analog for his for his clone, <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the whole thing. I'm, I, as you say, I remember at the time. So I'm going to say something that is perhaps bizarre here. But at the time, I completely switched off. I'd actually been really looking forward to it, and I completely switched off in the cinema. And so 21 years later, here I, here I am again watching it now, and I enjoyed it more this time <laughs> for. Given values of enjoy, um, I actually I didn't object to watching through it this time. I found I found elements to like that I was surprised by, but very small elements. Um, still not rewarding viewing, but sorry, I, I digress. I, I'm jumping ahead. No, that's, that's more or less where I'm getting at today. The the I think the main thing I've got with this film is that. It, I think slightly misunderstands well. This film is based clearly around Dredd himself as a character, and he's rarely, if ever, the most interesting thing about anything that's happening in the comics. Um, mm. In the city he's policing, it's, the, it's Mega City One that's the star of the show, and I think if the film had focused more on that than these tedious DNA sidetracks and like, yeah. um, it would have been a somewhat better film for it, I think. Yeah, it's, I don't and know. It, it's, 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 a shame, quite... it's a shame they didn't because the, some of the production value is not terrible. 
that's, that's what I was going to say. I think actually a lot of it's really nice. I mean, the yeah. the, the street scenes that are going are obviously a, all, all a bit of a deck to Blade Runner and these kind of things. But I was um, going to say it, it a lot of them are like Blade Runner without the rain, but it's not. I mean, it's not going toe to toe with Blade Runner in terms of production design, but it's not. It's not a million miles off. There's some really satisfying sort of set work and, and design and stuff going on. Yeah, and Chris Cunningham, uh, who was later become the director for the likes of the Apex Twin creepy videos, and um, he he was working at special effects at the time. He's brought some aspects to it. He did the character design for Mean Machine, which looks pretty awesome, and yep. most notably uh, Rico's hulking bodyguard, the close relative of the other two thousand AD AD strip ABC Warriors Hammerstein, this big crazy robot thing which just looks amazing. Yeah. Uh, which uh, I love. And the, perhaps the only thing I love more than the character design of him is the fact that it's found in a junk store run by Ian Jury of Ian Jury and the Blockheads. <laughs> yeah, which I'd completely forgotten about. <laughs> Talk about random casting. I'm assuming Ian Jury was either really tight with Danny Cannon or like a, a, a well known advocate of the comic book or something like that. <laughs> Just, yeah, there's Ian Jury. Yeah. <laughs> and a lot of the other aspects of design, clearly this was written and designed by people who really love the source material. You can you can see what they're going for in a lot of things. The, the weaponry and the vehicles, they're quite faithful to the comic strip and so are the comics, uh, so are the costumes, but you kind of need to talk about the costumes. Apparently, they were designed by Gianni Versace and they're perhaps <laughs> the single best thing of what can go wrong in an adaptation if you're too reverential and refuse to change aspects that perhaps really don't work in a different medium. Uh-huh. And if you've not seen the film at this point, I think it's worth maybe going to get on your internets and take a look at a still of it because it's difficult to overstate exactly how silly these things look. The big plasticky looking eagles precariously perched on a shoulder, this ludicrous padding making everyone just look weirdly proportions. It's, yeah. I mean, it, it's a really well executed, terrible idea. <laughs> it also kind of begs the question though, if you're going to stick that rigidly to the sort of comic book design, why are you bothering to bring Versace on board anyway? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I Just because they picked a nice fabric, darling. <laughs> uh, I could probably live with the protagonist looking a little bit daft if this was going full-on black comedy, which is kind of the heart of the comic strip. Yes. Uh, with, with the odd sort of Monty Python-esque absurdist flourish. Yeah. Uh, but this film just can't commit to it. It keeps snapping with tone between uh, a default action movie setup and something a bit more offbeat and it winds up just falling halfway between them and not really achieving yeah. anything consistent and that's really what uh, it, holds this for me it's, it's got the stuff like you say just a little offbeat bit sitting somewhere in this no man's land in the middle and they're very few and far between and it seems to have put the rest of its eggs in two baskets yeah. one of them is Stallone repeatedly saying I knew you were going to say that and the other one is, bless him, Rob Schneider, a man to whom I continually find myself every time he crops up inadvertently in a film when I wasn't expecting him, thinking, is there no beginning to this man's talents? <laughs> yeah. Um, this is really... Uh, this kind of goes back to the tone as well. Um, I can kind of forgive Schneider. He's probably cast about right as an annoying comic sidekick. It would be nice if he was actually funny, but he certainly got the annoying part down right. Mm, yeah. Um, but also, am I right in saying, in terms of reflecting, because his character of Fergie is a character from the comic strips, but bears no re- resemblance whatsoever to the character on the page, right? 
I don't um, mean in terms of physically, I mean in terms of the character. Yeah, not, none at all. Um, if this was, uh, to be honest, it's almost the sort of thing, it's a coincidental name, I think, or maybe just a yeah. nice little nod. It's not, it's not obviously nothing to do with the same character. Yeah. It's the, uh, it was like a big powerful mutant who helped save the city, and this one's just a annoying a dick <laughs> <laughs> um, but the rest of the cast is just similarly like bisected by this strange tone so you've got uh, Stallone and Asante just running around chewing every bit of scenery that's possible to chew and alongside them you've got some of the guys like Jürgen Proctor and Max von Sydow who appear to be under the impression that this is a serious film and are trying to bring some gravitas to it. And <laughs> when you put them both in the same scene, like Jürgen Proctor going, no, we need to, we really need to be serious about this cloning programme, then Asante's going, <laughs> <laughs> I believe was his, his one. <laughs> Direct quote. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, uh, it just uh, does not work as a... <laughs> Armand Asante is together. Barry from Watford. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the, you, if this had gone either full out ham or tried to play it a bit straighter, I think it would have been a bit better um, received if it had managed to pick one tone and run with it. Yes. Uh, and yeah, I don't know. This, despite all this, and th- this holds a similar place in my heart with um, David Lynch's Dune, what we talked about a while back. Mm, mm. Um, on a cognitive reason uh, level, I can tell you any number of reasons why it is a bad film. Yeah, at the same time, uh, I still kind of like it. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if it's just because I'm so fond of the source material that I'm. Yeah, and I don't uh, think there's anything wrong with that. Yeah, I just can't bring myself to dislike it, but I probably should. <laughs> yes, you can. <laughs> you know, you make no case for it. It's, no. it's I like this film personally, but I'm not going to defend it in a court of law. No. Um, I think a lot of, I mean, there's a great deal has been written about this film and was, was made um, quite public at the time about the conflict that Danny Cannon had with um, Sylvester Stallone in particular mm. um, around the production of the movie and it was at Stallone's behest that the sort of the the more overt comedic overtones be shoehorned in where I think Danny Cannon wanted to go down a, um, a much darker, grittier route that, well, not necessarily eschewing the dark humour of the comic would um, pay deference to that and I think focus more on the sort of uber-violent aspect of uh, of the movie, um, much um, in much of a way that I think um, the the latter film, which we'll speak about shortly, um, did much more successfully. Uh, so I think, I mean, how much of uh, Canon's creative vision uh, remains on the screen, and and. Uh, how much of the result is down to interference, we may never know. I mean, you hear, we hear directors crying foul of uh, producers and stars uh, uh, quite frequently, but it, it does sound like this is a, a markedly different beast to how Cannon had intended and presumably the project he thought he was going to be working on when he signed on. Yeah. <laughs> this film is really quite misbegotten on a number of levels. Uh, as I say, there are things that I think can still be taken as a positive from it. I, I would still probably defend the production design on this much as I defended the production design on uh, mm. Lynch's Dune, which kind of almost makes it worth looking at. It is yeah. just quite unique looking, and I think it's very visually distinctive, and most of the time it works. There's, I think most of it still holds up today. There's only a few kind of yeah. um, 
a couple of kind of composite shots against the the kind of backgrounds don't look brilliant. Yeah, like now, the bike chase that's... scene and stuff like that, which I think I seem to remember at the time people making fun of how bad that looked, and I remember thinking at the time I don't recall it being that bad, and I sat here and watched it in my hotel yeah. last night and thought, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't look that bad. Yeah, <laughs> I, there's a lot about this movie that it goes a long way to proving that um, you know in that era of proto CG that I think they made the the right call here, and they still they still leaned on things like really good matte um, yeah. matte paintings and things like that here and there's a lot to be said for how um, some of those when the elements have been composited properly um, stand the test of time far better than some of the uh, the early sort of virtual set stuff um, yeah. virtual cityscape design that we probably would have seen maybe kicking off around this time I suppose uh, or a couple of years down the line that sort of thing would start to uh, ooze its way more into the mainstream uh, but yeah, v- visually there's a great deal to enjoy about this, and it's not. A com- uh, I mean, critically, it's not a complete bust. And I, while I, you know, I've, I've, I'm not going to have any intent in returning to watch it again anytime mm, no. um, soon. But I'm not sad that I spent ninety odd minutes of my time watching it. Yeah, it, it moves along fast enough too quickly, I think, for the amount of stuff that's probably got in there. Yeah, but yeah. It, it does it does mean that you don't have too long to ever feel bored by any stretch. And mm. uh, yeah, if you're a fan of the comic art style, then it's worth seeing just to to see what kind of translations it could look like. I'm not saying it's necessarily a good idea to do it like this, yeah. but it is uh, an almost slavish translation of some of the, the earlier comic book style into it, and it, it's really interesting to look at. Um, narratively, yeah, it does not hold water, but I think there's yeah, mainly sort of production value wise, there's definitely some some merit to it. Um, that's yes. as strong a defence as I can I can mount of it. As I say, I, I I do have a bit of a soft spot for it, but yeah. yes, uh, in many other regards, not a great movie yes. at all. It's arguable that it's probably a more interesting <coughs> film to read about than to watch necessarily. But yeah, mm-hmm. I th- from a from a design point of view, if, if production design is your bag, then it's a pretty good case study in in a lot of respects. Um, but I guess uh, shall we move on to 2012, Scott? Oh, why shouldn't we? Oh, why not? It would be 17 years, I guess, until well, such was the critical and fi- financial <laughs> downfall of um, of 1995's Judge Dredd that it would be um, a full 17 years before we would return to the character again on the big screen, very much in the wake of the Marvel and the DC movies proving that there was a renewed appetite for that kind of thing. Um, so 2012's Dread, directed by a man whose name I have entirely forgotten, even though you've already name-checked him, uh, Scott. Pete Travis. Pete Travis, that's the one. Pete Travis is arguably a much, much more successful endeavour, uh, and the movie's popularity and Shawshank-like um, ascent to classic status on the home uh, rental markets would seem to suggest that uh, its, its audience agrees. Uh, you have Carl Urban as Dread, this time sensibly and fan-pleasingly not removing his helmet at any point through the <laughs> film, um, but also, also doing a far better job of embodying the character, one would argue. Uh, and he's paired on this occasion with new recruit Anderson, played by Olivia Thurlby. Anderson has not actually passed her her law enforcement test to become a fully-fledged judge, but she does, however, have possession of a rather powerful psychic ability, which the council are very much interested in, and so she has paired with Dread for her training, uh, I guess, uh, our training day scenario, and so they head out into a Mega City One, which is...
is currently being racked by a new wave of drug addiction uh, fueled by this particular drug called Slow-Mo, um, whose main effect seems to be that it causes its users to experience time passing at 1% of the normal speed, mm-hmm. which is uh, a somewhat interesting visual device, uh, capitalised as it was by the film's reliance on natively shot 3D, um, making it one of the more successful and enjoyable <laughs> and functional 3D movies to have been released still to date. Slow-mo is being pushed from within the Peachtree's block by Lena Headey's Mama, a psychopathic former prostitute who left her previous profession, not on the best terms with her employer, I think it's fair to say, <laughs> um, and assumed gradually assumed control of the entire Peachtree's block, from whence she is now distributing slow-mo throughout the entire city. In terms of plotting, there's not a great deal to the film, um, more than that, other than to say that Dredd and Anderson, purely by chance, accept a call to disturbance at Peachtree's, an event which has been precipitated by Mama, and once there, she locks down the entire block and we engage in a raid-type scenario where Anderson and Dredd basically have to fight their way to freedom up rather than out of the block, uh, taking down Mama's assorted goons along the way. Where I think it's fair to say this succeeds much more than the 1995 effort is that the sensible decision has been made to focus on pretty much doing one thing and doing it well, rather than, as you say, Scott, trying to incorporate sort of four or five major plot arcs from the other comic (laughs) books. This took a, I feel like this movie took a sensible sort of reboot attitude of let's just establish this character and the world he lives in rather than delve too much into the lore and backstory from the various comic books. I get the feeling that they wanted to see how it panned out and were it to have been successful, probably roll on with some more um, interestingly plotted sequels but in this episode certainly it's very much more a meat and potatoes movie than the original 95 effort but that is not a black mark against it because as i say it has been done incredibly well yes it's i think pete travis's team and uh, carl urban uh, have a much better grasp on the tone of the source material yes uh, and it's i think this one understands that Dread is not the guy making the quips and the wisecracks like Stallone would fall, <laughs> fall prey to doing. Dread uh, is the straight man to the pratfalls of the city around him. Yeah, you know, and this is kind of work here. He's just commendably gruff, and this proves yeah, his he actually here. expresses dis- great disdain at a number of things, um, which <laughs> gives rise to more humour than simply repeating "I knew you were going to say that" <laughs> over and over. Yeah, it, it, it's certainly a much better action outing for uh, Carl Urban than Doom was. <laughs> um, it's. Yeah, I think mainly there's a number of sort of very good performances. Uh, particularly, Lena Headey. Uh, Lena Headey makes sizable impact given that she's in what three scenes. Yeah, she, she's yeah. very barely in it and very little. But she, and she's Game of Thrones aside. I mean, it was the the first kind of movie performance from her that I'd come across in a long time. Yeah, yeah. She was very much on Hollywood's back burner by this point. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I very much enjoyed uh, Oliver Olivia Olivia Thilby's uh, performance. It's really her trial by fire gives a, a kind of her, her believable character arc over the yeah. course of the film because that's one of the things in the comic book thread doesn't really change very much over the course of forty years. But uh, yeah, it, it, it's nice to see someone uh, having it. So dread remains constant and things change around them. And mm-hmm. uh, it's nice to see uh, her character develop. And it doesn't have to resort really to making her a damsel in distress. It no, kind of, exactly. I wanted it, to touch on that as well. Yeah, she's yeah, again refresh, refreshingly competent and resourceful. Yeah, and it, it sort of toys with it at one point, only to ever escape and be the one that saves dread. And what is perhaps my favourite scene of the whole film. Yeah. <laughs> 
just, just dread stalling by saying wait. <laughs> of it. There's some really great comic timing for a movie that's not <laughs> obviously trying to be funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there are some really, really nice moments, and it's um, it's it's not afraid to get down and dirty either. It is quite um, quite an explicitly violent movie, but it plays it plays with its um, comic book source material to deliver all, especially in the sort of the sequences, the slow mo uh, sequences. There's yes. one or two altercations which take place from the point of view of slow mo users, where we yeah, enter into a shootout. Yeah, absolutely, and it's honestly, I think visually, it's the it's the one film I have in my collection that I'm quite happy to. And the next time I watch it, would probably watch it again in 3D, hmm. um, purely because it's executed so well, um, and the visual style and the use of space, um, and it's uh, it's tie in with the whole sort of plot device of the slow mo makes it quite it's uh, it's visually appealing, but it's also it's also quite well in service of the the plot and the style of the film. So you have. <laughs> that pleasantly comic book thing of I don't think anybody just gets shot at a straight angle in this film. No. <laughs> Everybody's being shot through the torso at really bizarre, really uncomfortable. And and you know if there is such a thing as a more convenient angle to be shot at, then it's just really sort of odd and inconvenient angles and whatnot. It's really it's really grewy in that respect. And like you know someone will get shot in the in the the big toe and have the bullet come out the you know the the top of the right shoulder or something like that just because of the awkward way they were fallen when they got shot it's really kind of it revels in that kind of thing and it it never quite reaches the sort of comic book over the top gore quotient of something like um the original robocop movie where it becomes sort of satirically um hyper violent but it is it it does replicate enough of the sort of the comic book tone i think to to get away with it in a sort of fantastical sense without being overtly cartoonish in a yeah. sense, it's very matter of fact and kind of just repugnant. But it's a very clever way of doing it, I think, as well, because the rest of it takes a more realistic, perhaps not the term, but yeah, it's a more straightforward looking thing. It doesn't really look like Mega City One. These just look like big, yeah. tall tower blocks. It doesn't. There's not the same kind of vibrancy and colour and weirdness going on. There's no flying no. bikes. There's no outlandish uniforms. Basically, they're just wearing biker leather yeah. for the most part. And uh, it's only when you get these slow mo scenes that you kind of get the the kind of vibrancy and the colours and the, the yeah. kind of weirdness of the of the comic book comes through. It's a much more contemporarily recognisable world, if that makes sense. And aside from the fact it's so densely populated and and um, dependent on these massive, massive um, communal tower blocks and whatnot, it's very contemporaneous. It's the sort of no one's going about apart from the judges. You know, it's very much sort of contemporary streetwear and and uh, things that people are wearing. There's no sort of outlandish costume design and reliance on flying cars cars and uh, and that kind of thing and uh, the city itself is is much more much more spacious and and laid out and these towers sort of dot the landscape more independently than they did in the very sort of cramped and, and overwhelmingly sort of claustrophobic 1995 effort and I think that there's a lot to be said there's a lot to be said uh, both ways but in this in this case I actually think it was a pretty wise design choice because it doesn't feel like it visually it doesn't overwhelm you and get in the way of the action yeah um, this film definitely deviates more from the source material in absolute terms yeah uh, but I think it 
does a far better job of capturing the actual tone and the essence of the source yeah. material, and that's what you're looking for in adaptation. Yeah. Something that something that can take it and translate it to another medium with the sensibilities of that medium and what makes uh, what's going to make sense and what's going to be a good experience in that other medium. And I think this is yeah. what uh, this film does so and al- well, and also uh, within its does. budget as well, oh, because yes. no one's wasting their time concentrating necessarily too much on the design of the city. They're focusing more on the the aspects of the design that that serve what this movie you know aims to do more yes. effectively and I, and I think it works all the more better for it yeah what's the best way to have incendiary rounds that kind of thing is <laughs> <laughs> all the better for yes. it it's <laughs> the extremely satisfying ix yes <laughs> <laughs> oh dear but um i think yeah i mean arguably like you say there's 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 not as much attempt here to sort of um, flesh out the character of Dread, but again, that's more the fault of the 1995 movie and not understanding that, you know, he, he isn't the character you want to flesh out necessarily, um, yeah. as, as you mentioned. And and while this movie feels much more pared back in pretty much all aspects other than the, the sort of um, the the violence and the, uh, the... Actually, I was going to say pace, but that, that first movie was fairly well it wasn't terribly paced to begin with, but this really is like a really almost perfectly paced kind of um, tower assault kind of movie, I suppose. Yeah. Um, and just, it, it's, it doesn't outstay its welcome. It, I think it achieves exactly what it's set out to do and it does it um, not in a functional way, but in a really satisfying way. Mm-hmm. And while it didn't perform massively at the box office i don't think um no as i mentioned before it, it really found its feet on the the home uh, markets and became a huge seller on on blu-ray and uh, and the rental market and i think finally now in the last couple of weeks there's been some talk of a a possible second installment there, there was talk and that talk was very quickly walked back uh, back around may i think it was this year so i, right. I still don't think it's going to happen it's it's certainly not in development i'm sure there's no so I think everyone involved has said they would very happily do another one um, yes. if they could ever find the money for it. So Yeah, uh, and I wonder why not the appetite, because you have to feel like once that market was established, it may not have been established in the cinema, but it's it's there and mm. it's recognisable and we're still very much... I feel like now would be a great time to strike because while we're still very much riding the crest of that um, Marvel Cinematic Universe wave and whatnot, that I find those films have been less uh, less satisfying the, the further we, we get along. And unless Doctor Strange pulls something out of the bag, then mm-hmm. I kind of feel like there'd be a gap in the market for something that's comic book based, but, you know, from a, from a different stable. Uh, and, and particularly given the success of the stuff like Deadpool, which is a skewing more adult. Than- absolutely right. Yes. So, you know, the R the R rated um, comic book uh, movie has definitely found its feet of late. So come on, I would I would be re- again. I have no real skin in the the comic book slash superhero um, genre whatsoever. But I'd I'd love to see another one of these because it was just a really really enjoyable movie. Yeah, I absolutely love uh, this uh, this red film. Um, it's was I think my favorite film of twenty twelve. Mm. Um, if memory serves, uh, certainly my favorite action film. If nothing else, it's just really really well handled it doesn't aim too high in what it's trying to do but everything mm. that it does it just absolutely nails yeah and, and uh, do you know what and I've, said for that. it's the third time i've seen it now and i've enjoyed it i've enjoyed it more with each viewing yes <laughs> um, there's a lot to be said there's a lot to be said for for doing something in a in a an almost minimalist way but focusing all of your efforts in in doing those things as well as you can yes so uh, that's that's pretty much my experience with dread these films uh, one's a kind of guilty pleasure another one's just a very obvious pleasure that 
everyone should be able to partake <laughs> yes. in. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, <laughs> I was going to say one of the, one of them's a pleasure and the other is just guilty. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's that's been kind of harsh. I must be mellowing out in my old age or something, Scott. I must be becoming easier to please again. Yeah, I, I do find that uh, films that I revisited that I very much loathe first time round. It's like, well, uh, come on, there's 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 some artistry to be seen here. Uh, yeah. <laughs> And, uh, I don't think there's any competition, right? I'd be very surprised to find anyone who's who um, prefers the earlier movie. Um, I, there's no objective argument to be made, really. No. Um, a shame not many, not more people went to see Dread. If that is perhaps the only argument to have, if if for some reason you hadn't heard they made this new film, which is entirely possible given that it came out to a, yeah. a marketing campaign of like someone graffitiing it on the side of a bus somewhere. Yeah, which feels which feels appropriate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And that's that was about it. Uh, it's, if you haven't heard of it, and this is the first you're hearing of it, immediately rush to your nearest video store emporium or yes. wherever you buy things these days. And uh, yes, give this one a look at because it's absolutely fantastic and a, a great um, a great outing for both dread and just as an action film in general. So yes, certainly highly recommended. That's I think that will be all we need to say about Judge Dread for now. So um, thank you very much for listening. If you want to check us in, out you can. Do so on the social medias, your Facebooks, your Twitters, all at FudsOnFilm or your emails, podcast at FudsOnFilm.com. You know where to get us. Uh, so we'll be back Don't with come you and get us. <laughs> Go on. We can take them. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't be so sure. <laughs> I've seen some of the people who follow us. <laughs> Oh, you, you're safe. All you need to do is run faster than me. So, <laughs> <laughs> nice. Right, so, um, yes. Until next time. Thank you very much. I have been Scott Morris and Craig has been Craig. And I've been you and you. Goodbye. Goodbye.